Rejection. Meh. Popularity. Well, I feel like looks is a big thing. School can be really stressful. My grades were plummeting and my friends weren't talking to me. And it's heartbreaking and they don't care. I felt like I needed to get that 4.0. I felt like I needed to get my double pirouette. I don't know, it's kind of confusing. My 10 year old daughter. 15. And I'm 12. Should we put them in order? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one's for the girls. A podcast dedicated to telling the story of a young girl's journey to finding herself. My name is Kat Harris. I'm a 23 year old journalist with a passion for helping women to succeed. School can be really stressful. It goes on and on. You have so much work, and on top of that, you've got all this drama going on. That's Hallie, a 12-year-old from Fairfield, Maine. She's my younger cousin, and I chose to interview her because I knew she had confidence. I wanted to find out why. Hallie's in the middle of what Eric Erickson calls identity versus rural confusion, an important stage in psychosocial development. Eric Erickson was a leading psychologist in the field of human development, and his research led to a series of groundbreaking improvements in the world of mental health and psychology. However, perhaps Erickson is best known for his postulation of the eight stages of development. He says that everyone passes through eight stages or crises in our lives, and depending on how we cope, we learn something vital, or we don't. In order to deeply investigate the causes for the struggles that young girls often face, I delved into Erickson's research. He says that during adolescence, usually around the ages of 12 through 18, young women will face a crisis, and depending on how they deal with the crisis, they learn either identity or role confusion. If identity is a clear-ish definition of who we are, role confusion is the opposite, a sort of transient idea of what we may be without any sort of commitment or fidelity to that idea. So where in this process do young women learn their identity or role confusion? What does it look like, and why does it matter? First, I wanted to know what young girls are dealing with these days. Maybe I've like thought about it every once in a while, just briefly, like, who am I? I don't know, I don't think about it too much. That's Emma, a 17-year-old from Norwich Walk, Maine. Emma has spunk, personality, and seems to know who she is, but I wanted to know what it took for her to get there. What is like the hardest thing that you have to deal with right now? Rejection. That was quick, and definitely not what I was expecting. She didn't even have to think about it. Elaborate. I'm going to say three forms of rejection. Like one is when I want to go for a solo or I submit a play to be produced and I don't get it. And it's heartbreaking. And then when I'm excited about something and I want to tell someone and they don't care. So that kind of rejection. And then when I'm interested in someone kind of romantically and they... <laughs> are so like they just don't care and they're not interested so like kind of rejection as many painful and uncomfortable memories as this stirs up for me emma doesn't really need my sympathy she's got this and i don't really get why but we'll get to that later confidence can be hard to come by for an adolescent girl it's a time of changes changing bodies friend groups and sometimes even schools scott taylor a social worker from lehigh utah agreed to discuss the topic with me go to a junior high and you've seen it you have one girl that's walking down the hall that looks like she's eight years old and you have another girl that's walking down the hall next to her that looks like she's a supermodel yeah. and and they're the same age through each of these changes there is one grand question young girls subconsciously ask themselves and as evidenced by scott's commentary this question can take a variety of shapes but the main question is who am i 
What will I do when I'm faced with a moral or ethical dilemma? What don't I want to do or become? So let's talk to the girls and find out what's making them ask this question. Erickson says young people can be remarkably clannish and cruel in their exclusion of all those who are different in race, cultural background, economic class, in aspects such as dress, and even in specific tastes and styles. Essentially, it's totally normal, but not necessarily something we want to encourage. In search of their own identity, young girls want to see their own attributes reflected in others. They want to know who's in, who's out, and they want to be in, at least according to Erickson. But I'll let Hallie tell the story. Don't be surprised if this takes you down memory lane. A lot of girls were just gossiping about her a lot and saying, like, mean things. Hallie tells a story of a time when she experienced just how cruel adolescent girls can be. She decided to do something about it. I told them that they were being, like, just as mean as she's ever been to them because they were gossiping about her. And mm-hmm. then I went over and just started hanging out with her, and she was pretty cool. That's awesome. Was it scary for you to do that? Um, a little bit, but worth it. Hallie's decision to stand up for a girl she saw in need made her feel good, and not only because she made a new friend. Erickson says that the positive reward for this behavior is likely to solidify in Hallie's mind that she's someone who's helpful to others, even when it comes at her own expense. She's decided that this is something that matters to her for now, at least, and this experience is only one example of how an identity comes to be. So let's break this idea down. If this occurs with positive behavior, what would happen if we applied it to negative behavior? When we are made to feel ashamed for something and we decide we make a mistake, how do we recover? Do we turn bitter and defensive, or do we decide we never want to make that mistake again? What happens when we're made to feel ashamed for doing something we see as morally right? How do we respond? Let's ask Emma. Like a while ago, I guess, um, I would just bottle it up. Like maybe write it in my journal. So like I'd just, I'd just be frustrated about it, and I wouldn't like communicate it. And so recently I've been like writing down my frustrations in like a notebook and turning them into like songs and turning them into what I love. Emma tries to turn her negative feelings into music. She's decided it's a healthy way for her to deal with stress and emotion. But she also struggles with what this says about her. In third grade, I remember watching Wizard of Oz and seeing Judy Garland sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow and I sang that in class the next day. Everyone thought I was a weirdo. And I just remember, like, ever since then, I'd wanted to be a singer. Emma loves the performing arts, and she's actually really good at it. I witnessed it. But right now, she's learning how to integrate her confidence into her identity without seeming full of herself. I just love the feeling I get, like, the the kind of, like, an awe that I get when I watch them. And I want people to be in awe of me, I guess. But I noticed you got a little quieter when you said that. Is there a reason? Do you feel like it's bad to say that you want people to be in awe of you? I do think the phrasing of that is a little kind of awkward to say, to like want people to be in awe of me. Like that's what, that sounds a little full of myself, but I don't want to like seem cocky. But I think that there's something to that. You know, I think sometimes we're made to feel like we can't have confidence, you know, without being cocky. Do you ever feel yeah. that way? Yeah, all the time. I was able to learn from Emma in this conversation a little bit about why maybe I had to rediscover my confidence at age 23. It brought a few questions to mind for me. What does it take to be sure of yourself, but also humble, to be confident, but not cocky? And how do you learn the difference? I, for one, think Emma has a pretty good idea. So to you, I guess, what would seem cocky? Thinking I'm better than someone and thinking that I don't need to learn anything more. Like if I didn't win something, being all bratty about it and like I should have won. 
It's clear that Emma knows what it means to be conceited, and she's afraid others will perceive her confidence and ambition as cockiness, as she says. According to Scott, it's good for the girls to have these kinds of experiences, where they need to face opposition so they can make decisions and decide who they're ultimately going to be. But in order to do that, they need space. You really need to have a parent be able to back off and let a kid spend an hour in the bathroom, no matter what kind of crazy things you think they might be doing in there, and let them have that space. This is easy for someone else to say, but it's different when it's your own kid, which is something Scott and his wife Nancy mention pretty frequently. Nancy Taylor also works with adolescent girls. She's a junior high counselor in the Alpine, Utah school district. Nancy says it's important to remember that adolescent girls are terribly sensitive to judgment. So while giving them space to grow, it's important that parents are available to listen without getting too critical. She needs someone to just sit with her through her sadness and accept that. While this is great advice, it's not always easy to follow. And Scott has a few recommendations for if you don't feel up to the task or if the girls just don't feel like talking. Understand that you're gonna have limitations as a parent. And so they need to have friends that you can trust. They need to have other adult, important adult people in their lives like school counselors or somebody that they can sit down and talk to in addition to you because how can they become their own person if they're always coming to you as the parent? It just can't happen. So Scott is telling us we need to give the girls room to grow, and Nancy is telling us we need to listen without judgment. So where's the balance? It's important to remember that it's going to be different with every girl, but the end goal is to help them have more confidence. As you listen to this podcast, you might be asking yourself, why does it matter so much that we help these girls develop more confidence? Like, why can't they develop it later? Why is it such a priority right now? Well, I'm going to have Emma answer that question for you. Hopefully she doesn't mind. Because I want to know that I'm heard, that I've, that I've been heard, that what I'm saying is worth something, that I'm not just, you know, just babbling. Like, like right now, I'm just waiting for you to be like, yeah, I totally get that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. Emma called me out on this one, and honestly, I'm glad she did, because it brings up an important point. She has confidence in her musical abilities and in a lot of other things, But one thing she doesn't have confidence in is that people are listening to her and that what she says is of value. My question is, how long will it take for her to stop speaking up and voicing her opinion? How long will it take for her to stop trusting herself or her gut? How long till it changes the way she views herself and her identity? I started to wonder how often this confident, beautiful girl actually had these types of conversations with her peers or friends and family. Do you have these kinds of conversations with people often, like with your friends or your parents or someone? Not really, because I'm just scared of the rejection of, like, just not, just not getting the validation that I want. Here's the thing, though. I know Emma's mom. You could probably tell her anything and she wouldn't flinch. I have. But it's not about her mom or how approachable she is or how well she listens. It's just really hard sometimes to approach someone and share your thoughts and feelings, especially your mom when you're an adolescent girl. So should you spend more time talking to your girls, or should you encourage them to have relationships with other female role models? Where's the balance? Join me in the next episode as we talk to Krista Firmich, Hallie's mom, about how she encourages Hallie to be open with her, and what experts recommend as Hallie gets older. This podcast was created as an academic project using the recording facilities at Brigham Young University. Uncopyrighted music was curated by Chris Hagen and Gunnar Olson. Special thanks to faculty advisor Quint Randall and the many family members, friends, and professional contacts who dedicated their time and efforts to helping me produce This One's For The Girls.